All right. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. Again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, I say we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. All right. Yes, we are Black Free Thinkers, but not the Candace Owens and Kanye kind. Even though I find those kinds of black free thinkers quite interesting, I used to be one of those. But, you know, we'll delve more into that because I'm, I've had people question me on that. And, you know, I'll, I'll open it up to questions one day and we can talk about it and talk about my journey as a black Republican and what pushed me away from the Republican Party and why I refuse to identify as a Democrat. I, re, I identify as an independent However, I have voted for some Democrats over the years, right? So that's not what we're here to talk about today. And I apologize for the delay. The show was supposed to start a half hour ago, but my computer decided it wanted to be best and update itself. And not just little updates. I'm talking about the long updates. And it finally thought about five minutes before the show, I anyway... It doesn't even matter. Welcome to the show, guys. Welcome to 2020. This is the year of be best, right? Now, that be best, it cuts both ways. There is good be best, and there is not so good be best, right? But if you're going to be best, you be best at both. So so I just want to thank you guys for listening in. Thank you for hanging with me. Thank you for all of those that are new um, listeners to the show, I appreciate you. I thank you for, you know, being patient with me. It's a lot that I want to do this year. Like I said before, I will be launching a new podcast this year. And so, you know, I'm trying to put everything together, get everything in place. I guess I'll go ahead and throw up a web page for Black Free Thinkers now. You know, I had a page up way back in 2011, and then I just took it down and left it down. But we're going to go ahead and put that up. And on that page, I'm definitely going to pay homage to some other people who were, you know, hosts with different shows on the Black Free Thinkers Network. And I just want to let them know how much I do appreciate them, how how much I do appreciate what they brought to the show. And I see many of them have launched off and done other things and are being successful, and I'm happy for that. They know I'm rooting for them. And so just to let them know I appreciate you, I love you, and thank you. Because with the Black Free Thinkers show, all the shows combined, when I aggregate the numbers, we have right at 1 million listening hours. So over a million listening hours, people have taken their time to listen and to, um, you know, embrace what we have to say. You know, I see things, people are like, I didn't know this existed. Oh, no. And so there's some issues with the sound quality and all of that. <clears throat> And I'm hoping that this addresses it and this fixes it. So if there's something going on, please let me know. You can inbox me. Okay. I want to say you can inbox me, but I am really bad about those inboxes because it is that inbox that gets you in trouble and keeps you in trouble. But just let me know. Let me know. Um, I've done some mic checks. I've listened to them. It seemed to be okay with me. I heard it quite well. But you let me know. I definitely want some input, you know, from you guys, not only about the sound quality, but about what you may want to hear, what you want me to talk about, who would you suggest to the show. 
and with the other podcast is going to basically be about other people and bringing them onto the show and talking about what they have. And with this podcast, I think I'm just going to keep it the way it is, talking about religion or lack thereof, you know, talking about politics, culture, all of those things and what's happening in this country. So let me go ahead and read the intro to the show today. So 2020, the year of Be Best. Please join us as we kick off 2020, the year of Be Best. It's of my opinion that this should be a superlative year. Good is not good enough. Better is not good enough. We must strive to be best. I'm taking cues and notes while watching in horror from the orange tater tot politicians and the other white people in America. We should strive to take things to a new level and show the world how to be best. The base is planning on being their very best in Virginia, protesting the gun laws. Jerry Falwell Jr. is going to be best as he calls for civil disobedience in Virginia because of gun laws. Even being best is soaked and drenched in white pathology. You can be best if you have the right complexion, right? And so I use white pathology there as opposed to white supremacy because I believe that the word pathology or the phrase white pathology is more of an umbrella and it covers white privilege, white male entitlement, you know, white supremacy and all of that. However, sometimes I will use the other words just out of habit, but I think we should change some of the vocabulary, some of the language around so that we can basically um, capture all of the <laughs> things that go along with that, you know, like microaggression and, 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 you know, terminology such as that, that falls under white pathology. So anyway, it's being best if you sell your country to the highest foreign bidder. Hell, you may even give it away for free if they promise to say nice things about you. And you are being best when you subject poor countries with economic terrorism and the promise of missiles and bombs if they dare protest. You are being best if you encourage protesters in other countries while simultaneously punishing American protesters who are protesting the maltreatment in your own country. I'm going to be best every chance I get. Now, that be best, that came from Melania. And Melania, she's plagiarized everybody and taking their shit. So we're going to take Be Best right now. <laughs> we're going to play with it, and we're going to talk about a few things. Now, um, some of the good Be Best. This right here is a good example of Be Best. Ayanna Presley. Ayanna Presley and her, um, her revelation of having alopecia, right? You know, and that video was powerful. It made me cry, actually. Not that it takes very much to do that, but that made me cry. Now, that is bravery. That is courage. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I saw some of the, you know, in my news feed, you know how people post up links. And at first, when I saw that link, just a picture that was there, I thought it was Jennifer Griffin for a minute. You know, but Ayanna Presley, absolutely beautiful. And I'm glad she's able to tell her truth, tell her story, her way, because she talked about the little girls and the, and the women that look up to her, and she felt like she owed them her best. And in order to give them her best, 
she had to, you know, stand in her own truth and come out and show people what was happening with her and take control of that particular narrative and show the power behind that and encourage others to take their power back and to stand up in their truth. I appreciate that. That is a good be best. So, you know, um, that's just wonderful, you know, um, and I'm not necessarily talking about the politics of, you know, where she stands with the Democratic Party. That's not where I'm going with this. I'm just talking about her as a black woman standing up and being who she is without apology, without, you know, um, you know, kowtowing or towing the line or, or, or needing white validation. She is being who she is, and she's showing other women and girls, black women and girls, that you too can be who you are and stand in your own power, own that power, control that power, control that narrative. And that is so important for, you know, people to see, not only black girls and women, but black boys and black men as well, you know. And so I don't really want to go off into it because next thing I know, I'll be talking about toxic masculinity and we'll be all the way <laughs> on the other side of the park, right? And so I posted something yesterday about, you know, people signing a petition or, you know, basically encouraging Bloomberg and Steyer to pay the fees for the felons that were granted their voting rights back in Florida, in the state of Florida. However, when they were granted their voting rights back, it went to court and it was challenged. And basically the court ruled that these people, the people that were felons and were granted their right to vote again, that they had to pay all of their fines and fees before they could vote. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a poll tax to me, and that is illegal. However, I do commend the people that are challenging Bloomberg and Steyer to use their billions to pay the fines and fees of these people who, who actually need that help so that they can go and they can vote in this election. Because I don't believe the voting deadlines has passed, but I'm not sure. I'm not from Florida, so I don't have all of that information. But, you know, I want you guys to go out and read with that. Now, that's how you can put your money where your mouth is. And that's not only for Bloomberg and, and Steyer, you know, that's for other black billionaires as well. Oprah, Tyler Perry, you know, and, and other millionaires out there as well. The Johnson family, you know, that even though they divorced, both of them are billionaires at this point. And other white billionaires out there, you have the Pritzker family, <laughs> you have the Bilderbergs. And so, yeah, let me stop because I already know the conspiracy theorists are already flags up. So let me let that go. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm just saying. Do something positive. Do something good with your money. So I guess that's a good way of being best or to be best. Use your money to be best, To you know, but not only in Florida, you know, I mean, all across the country. You know, we're talking about wealth inequality, and the, some of the candidates have addressed it somewhat, not, you know, not in its full capacity, because many of them just skirt around the issue except for Buttigieg, and, and what I mean by that is um, the debate stage and subsequent to that, I've been watching his interviews, so, you know, I can tell that he learned his talking points, and he has them down pat, but don't believe him, 
do not believe him. Um, I was supposed to go, well, I was invited to um, to do some canvassing and phone calls for Elizabeth Warren and her campaign here in town, and it's like 10 degrees outside. And then also I had to come and talk to you guys today, so I declined. However, they sent me an email of other things. I don't know. I'm feeling some kind of way about all of this and about all of the candidates at this point. Not quite sure, can't quite put my finger on it, but something is amiss. So anyway, that is one way you can be best on the good side of be best, right? (laughs) I just, I some days I wake up, turn on the news, read some articles, or, you know, the way I have my um, phone set up is, the different newspapers that I subscribe to, they automatically send me the highlights of the day. And so I'll scroll through that. And some of the things that are happening in this country are outrageous. And as I've stated before in the past, that I think is extremely important that you read periodicals, magazines, newspapers from other countries. Because in most cases, they can give you a more in-depth look or more broad look at what's happening from a different perspective. Because you have to remember and understand that we still do, we soak in, we take in propaganda every day, all day. And you've been taking in this propaganda from the day you were born. And that's why sometimes it's hard for us to differentiate between what is true, what is false. And what is in between, especially in that little gray area. And sometimes in this country, as well as others, but I'm just talking about what I've noticed in America, is sometimes it's kind of hard to navigate that gray area. And some of that is because of how you've been taught growing up, as well as, you know, again, affinity. You know, what you learned in your family. You have a certain type of affinity there with many, you know, um, black people. You know, many of our families are Democrats. Many of our families, you know, in their own way supported the civil rights movement. And there were some who did not, just like there were some who supported Black Lives Matter and some who did not, and some who supported the Harlem Renaissance and some who did not. So, I mean, again, you know, we're not a monolith. And you have different people out here with different opinions and and can support their, you know, their opinions, support their narratives with what information that they have. You know, most recently, you know, I was having a conversation with someone and, you know, and I'm just sitting here and looking at them, well, looking at the phone. And I'm like, I can't believe you believe all of that. And they're like, yes. And they're like, so what do you disagree with? I said, everything, everything coming out of your mouth, I absolutely disagree with. However, that is your truth, but you know, I you, <laughs> I would suggest that you read some books by some other folks, and 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 maybe broaden, you know, that that learning base, and see what some other people have to say about those particular issues. And so that's what I do to encourage people. You know, when I take time out, and sometimes I feel like breaking things down. Sometimes I don't, you know, and as of late, you know, especially the last several years, I have, you know, chosen not to engage very many people. And there's a reason for that. And the main reason for that 
is because when I used to engage people and have these conversations, there were some people who basically took it upon themselves and thought that they could demand me to engage them, demand that I make changes that they wanted me to make, demand that I talk about things that they wanted to talk about. And there's a way to approach someone and to ask them those questions, but to make demands. And and I'll be honest, you know, these were black men that did that, you know, and, and here we go with the patriarchy and, and, and that male entitlement and all of the things that go with that, right? And so it became an issue. And at that particular time, when all of that happened, that is when I decided that, yeah, I needed to take a step back and I needed to put up, you know, boundaries, you know, more boundaries um, because, you know, there were some people out there that just took it to a whole new level and, you know, they made it so that I don't necessarily enjoy social media too much anymore. You know, I'm on social media, I have fun, I'll post some great you know, links here and there. And for those of you that want even more links, you can go to our Reddit page. So www.redditreditt.com slash r slash black freethinkers. You can spell that out with an S at the end. And so let's get into some more details, <laughs> some more of this year of the best, right? But I had to bring that up. You know, but, you know, I, I brought up a good B-Best. Now I'm going to bring up what I consider a questionable B-Best, right? So there was a rumor going around, and, and we believe it was some Russian trolls that put this out here that basically stated that Boosie had, you know, beat the hell out of George Zimmerman. And for those who do not know who George Zimmerman is, that's the, the white domestic terrorist that assassinated Trayvon Martin in Florida, right? And so, of course, you know, you had some people celebrating that, and then you had some people like, wait a minute, what's going on? So, you know, they're checking out the facts, and and Boosie and his team, they put out there that he did not beat up George Zimmerman, right? However, if you want to be best, and you want to be the bad be best, yeah, go knock the hell out of that. You know, they said they, that Boosie knocked him out cold, and for a while, we were hopeful that that had happened. So that is a bad B-Best. Well, it's questionable B-Best because, you know, again, you have these white domestic terrorist assassins that are out here that feel as though they can do anything they want to black and brown people with impunity, with absolutely no recourse. And you have people in the community that want to fight back but then you have those in the community that have been, you know, that have been of the opinion of, no, you fight, you fight hate with love, or you turn the other cheek. And a lot of that is taught through the religion. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I've touched on it last week, well, not last week, a couple of weeks ago. And I didn't really get into it the way that I wanted because I started to. And then I changed my mind and kind of backed up and just took a different course because I want to read a few more um, books or glean some information from a few more sources so that I could have that conversation. But I'm actually looking up some people who have written about this, and maybe we can have them on the show. And we can talk about how Christianity 
in and of itself has delayed and stifled black liberation, you know, for the black community. Because again, you have all of these preachers, especially the ones that want that celebrity, that want that, you know, power, that want that recognition, they will run you out there to the microphone and demand that you, you know, say that you forgive the white people who just shot up and killed your entire family. You know, they'll they'll want you to go out there and hug the police officer that broke into your child's home and 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 killed him dead. You know, talking about you want to be friends. That is the type of thing that's encouraged by many, not all, but many Christians. And has done nothing, you know, it's done nothing for the community. All it's done is made us weaker. And it's made people afraid to speak up and to speak out. You know, you'll hear quite a few Christians saying that, well, I don't get involved in politics. I try to stay away from that. And, you know, and it's not just black Christians that do that. I've seen black atheists, black nonbelievers, black humanists, black free thinkers that have said the same thing. Just the fact that you woke up in the morning and 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 decided you were going to live today, that is a radical act of resistance. Because trust me, they don't want you here. Many of these white people, if they could get rid of us, they would. And so it's interesting. I posted an article, and I believe it was written by Michael Harriet, and he was talking about the backlash to 1619 and how over in um, the National Review, how one of the writers over there was talking about how, you know, black people should be grateful that white people allowed them to have certain rights and that white people didn't ship them back to Africa, although that had been, you know, some of the conversation of that day, and it's still conversation today. Don't believe that there's no one sitting around trying to figure out how to send our asses anywhere but here. Those conversations are happening. And so, you know, it was just funny when he was like, this motherfucker is wanting us to believe or to say that we should be grateful to white people because they weren't being as horrible and as as pathetic or as pathological as they could be. You know, because I've had a white man say to me, you know, you people don't know what you need. You don't know what's best for you. And you're, you know, and I had a, this white guy said this to me. He said, you know, you would still be slaves if white people like me didn't stand up and say that it was not okay anymore. And so these are the type of people that I run across here and there, but yet they're the main ones saying that they're not racist. So anyway, going back to be best, I'm going to leave that little boosy thing alone, but they say it didn't happen. I'm a little disappointed, but oh well. <laughs> you know, it's all kinds, right? And so in the show notes, I specifically brought up the group or the white neo-Nazi white supremacist, the base. And again, just pay attention to the name. And and basically what it means, because, you know, when you hear about people talking about the base as of late, generally they're talking about those that have followed and support the orange tater tot, right? That is considered the base. And, you know, what's interesting is watching these white politicians, you know, with moderate Democrat like Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg, 
or a progressive liberal candidate like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren and, you know, Bloomberg and Steyer, right? Basically, they want the votes of the people who voted for Trump, right? They want to bring some of those back over to the Democratic Party. But the question is why? Why? Now, regardless of what you all think or what you have to say about Joe Biden, Joe Biden is, you know, how could I put it? You know, we'll just say it this way. He envelops his white pathology with with the fact that he was, you know, side by side with Barack Obama for eight years and, and how he still to this day supports Barack Obama and what Barack Obama stands for. And he is depending on the black voters to give him that edge, give him that lead to win this election. And if you pay attention, you you know, just look at the money that's being spent. Steyer and Bloomberg are just spending an incredible amount of money. And with the Democrats, you know, the other candidates, you know, they have limited cash coming in, and they don't have nearly as much cash coming in as they would need because, you know, becoming president of this country has now turned into, you know, fundraising, how much money you can get from donors, you know, who's going to continue to back you once you win. And so in in many cases, they have to sell out to these lobbyists, to these corporations, to, you know, you know, it's just, it's outrageous what is, what is turned into. And for those who are interested in knowing more about that, I would tell you to go and look up Citizens United in that case that went before the Supreme Court. And it was at that, you know, um, the um, ruling from that, you know, it was a lot of things that were in there, but basically that is when they decided that a corporation can be considered a person, right? And so that's when some of the rules changed and they were able to accept dark money. And so you have a lot of these political action committees, you have a lot of these organizations, including some atheist organizations out here, that have turned into 501c4s and 5s, and they can receive dark money. And so it will behoove you to go out and to investigate because, you know, I've been saying it for years, and especially the last few years, about how, you know, many of these organizations and these political action committees, how they are also taking money from foreign nationals, from these, you know, oligarchs in other countries. And, yes, we have oligarchs in this country as well. You know, I hear people saying, oh, it's going to turn into an oligarchy. It's going to end up turning into a fascist country. We are already there, baby. And we've been there really since the 60s, the late 60s, 70s. But it really took power in the mid to late 80s. And so this is why we tell you to go back and we tell you to go and do your research. And it's funny because someone had, and I retweeted this, someone was talking about how they will tell people to go and Google it, Google whatever information 
that, you know, they were looking for. And, you know, I know I stressed that on this show as well, but it was just really funny because they, they had the same premise as I do. When I tell you to Google certain things, I know what I'm telling you to look for, but I also know the other materials you're going to run across and that you're going to end up down a rabbit hole and you're going to end up learning more than you started out learning. That is to your benefit. I'm doing that. I encourage that for your benefit. You know, so, you know, it's not me being funny. It's not me being obtuse. It's not me just blowing you off. Is because it's something in there that I want you to learn. There's a lesson there. And it's important for me, for you to be able to see it and, and to glean this information on your own. I'm hoping that it encourages you to dig deeper, right? So let's give another example of be best, right? So it's funny because I can give you all kinds of examples on how to be best. If you're going to be crazy, you know, sometimes – People on social media specifically, they labor under the delusion that they can say whatever they want on social media and there will be no consequences and repercussions. And a few of you I have learned along the hard way that that is not necessarily the case. However, you know, from seeing and things that I've been told, some of you still haven't learned your lesson. And so, you know, in this instance, you know, I used to say when someone gets crazy with you, ignore it. It's not worth the fight. Nah, let it go. You know, but a few years ago, I decided that that was not the case. So, you know, people get crazy. You give them a little crazy. Usually that makes them go away. But with some people, you have to give them equal but opposite crazy, Right. Usually that does the job. Some folks, you got to get them, give them a little bit crazier, right? But since this is the year of be best, and we're talking about you know having a superlative year, then you got to be craziest. And you know when you go out there and someone's crazy with you, you turn around and you be your craziest. That tends to make other people run for the hills, especially white people. See, you have to have that element of surprise to go with that you know, to stop them cold in their tracks, right? And I can give you examples of being crazy, but, you know, I already got enough folks looking at me side-eye, giving me the side-eye, so I won't give any more examples. But let's just say some people have learned what be crazy is means to me, and um, they were not very happy with it, you know. So anyway, another example of be best, you know, again, I'm taking my cues from the orange tater tot and these politicians and, you know, these white politicians and these white celebrities. You know, if you're going to, you know, go out here and, and be bad, be the baddest. Not be bad, not be worse, be baddest, right? And so, <laughs> you know, Lev Parnas, you know, that guy there. And I know I never finished talking about the base. We'll leave Lev alone for a minute and go back to the base. So I brought that up, talking specifically about um, the base in general. But in the article that I posted and put into the show notes, it's talking about a neo-Nazi white supremacist group that had planned on going to Virginia to protest the gun laws that have been passed in that particular state, right? And so Monday, you know, is 
MLK Day, right? So it's a holiday for most people in this country. So you're going to have different groups out there protesting, you know, whatever groups out there that support the, the new gun laws, what have you. So with this particular group of people, they arrested three people, I believe two in Maryland and one somewhere else, over there on the East Coast. They arrested three people on the East Coast, and then they turned around and arrested three more people in Georgia. And they had been making, you know, they were plotting to go up there and basically, you know, I guess put on their best Charlottesville that they could think of, right? And in addition to that, they were also targeting African-American and Jewish people or synagogues or mosques or, you know, you know. so again, it wasn't just African-Americans, it was Muslims, it was Jewish people that they were targeting. I also believe they were targeting some white people that they had suspected were Antifa, right? And so that was happening with that group. They were coordinating, they were organizing, and they were planning to cause chaos and havoc in Virginia. And it's not just those six people. There are others involved in this. And so I also posted the article in there about Jerry Falwell Jr. and how he was on this radio show and how he stated that he would encourage um, civil disobedience in Virginia if certain gun laws had been passed. Now, Jerry Falwell is not the only white pastor, preacher out there that's, that believes in this. And in in basically calling for civil disobedience because of the gun laws and the things and the progress of the progress that's being made in this country, and for you religious people out there, specifically Christians, specifically Black Christians, I need for you all to pay attention to this, and you know, and I need for you to understand and to pay attention how Christianity, as it's taught in America. Number one is hypercapitalism. Number two is white pathology or white supremacism. You know, that's what it's based in. And that's why I always talk about the difference between white Christians and black Christians. And I even talk about the difference between white atheists and black atheists in general. Because we, most of us, are viewing this in in very different you know, um, lenses. We're looking through very different lenses. We're seeing different things. It can be one person on that stage giving a talk. White people are comprehending it one way, and black people are comprehending it another way. And that's not to say that some people on either side are comprehending it as the other group is. You know, I'm not saying that that's not happening. But in general, we kind of see life very different because there are two different Americas you know, that we're living in, and white people don't like to admit that. And, you know, and I'll talk a little bit more about how they have basically whitewashed the words and the activism of Martin Luther King. They have whitewashed it. They've changed it. They try to use it to, you know, forge their own new agenda or not new agenda because they've had the same agenda from day one. And and how they try to take the words and and the example of Martin Luther King in their way to basically subjugate and control black people. And, you know, we've been pushing back, especially in these last few years, and that needs to continue. So we need to be best in, in regards to pushing back on white people 
trying to use the words and the language of black people in order to progress their particular agenda. You know, and that's not just in public. That's just not with these different forums, these panels, these talks, you know, in these different organizations and groups. I'm talking about even interpersonal relationships and and, and how you'll have some of these white progressive liberals especially try to take, again, appropriate the language and or co-opt that particular movement and and twist it to be what they want it to be. I posted a meme earlier this week, and in that meme, it was talking about if if we could have, if we can define white culture with pictures, right? So in the first meme, you know, there were a bunch of white folks, and it looked like they were sitting in bleachers, right? And there were like three, you know, we'll just say people of color. And basically the white folks were like, you do not fit in. And so, you know, the people of color decided, oh, well, we'll start our own. So they went and they had their own little window, their own little section. You know, it was only a few of them, you know, whereas, you know, the white people had the big old bleachers full, right? And then the white people, one of the white people says, well, why are you excluding us? And the people of color were like, oh, no. And so they let them into their small little space, and everybody is packed in like sardines, right? And then the next thing you know, the white people are telling the people of color, you do not fit in here, into a space that they carved out, created, maintained, and supported of their own. Now, they don't even, you know, fit into that. And there are many examples of that I can give you, you know, even with the social justice, you know, um, even with the women's movement, and particularly the Me Too, right? Because that was started by a black woman, Tarana Burke. And next thing I know, you know, Alyssa Milano and all these white people are saying, Me Too, Me Too. And, and, you know, these white women, and they were trying to take it over, and it turned into, you know, a little tug of war, right? But yet they still they still were able to, you know, the black people were like, well, we'll we'll invite you in. You could be a part of this. But why have we not learned? Whenever we allow black I mean, allow white people into our spaces, they come in and many of them want to take over and they want to dictate what should and should not be of importance to us, because. Again, you know, why are you, why did you name your show Black Free Thinkers? Why can't you be just free thinkers? And it's like, why are you trying to force me to assimilate? If you want black and brown people who are willing to assimilate and kowtow to you and your whims and live each day for your validation and, and, and your approval, that's those other black folks over there. You go talk to them over there. You know, and and what's interesting is some of these white people get angry because I will not even entertain the conversation. And they want to argue and debate. And I'm sitting there, you know, by this time eating French fries and looking at them like they're crazy and playing with my phone. But a lot of that happens. A lot of that happens. So, yeah, I know I keep pulling away from this. But, you know, I want you guys to be careful in Virginia and and Virginia is not the only place where these types of things are happening. So I need for you to be vigilant. I need you to pay attention to what's happening, pay attention to what's going on around you.
because, quote-unquote, the base is getting very nervous, especially now that the orange tater tot has been um, impeached. And now it's before the Senate, and we'll see what happens with that, although more information has come out, which is why I'm going to talk about Lev Parnas in a minute. But, yeah, you know, you know that's being best at its very worst, right? So, you know, you have these white neo-Nazi supremacists being their absolute best at being the absolute worst that this country has to offer. And you need to be aware of that. And what's interesting is you have some black and brown people who agree wholeheartedly with these folks, right? Many of them are afraid to voice it because they know it's going to be pushed back, but it all boils down to this. You know, in, in many communities, but especially the black community, you know, they allow you to be who you are. But if you two off the wall, they're not going to necessarily just push you out and push you away. However, to a certain degree, you will be shunned and ostracized. And if you can take that and you can deal with that, go on. Because, you know, in, in my case, you know, um, I've definitely been on the outside. And the thing is, is that I'm okay with that. I actually prefer it because now I can do all the commentary, right? Make the announcements, laugh at shit, you know. And, I mean, I was laughing at shit then, but now I'm just really laughing at stuff. You know, someone had brought something up to me, and it was a situation that happened with someone. And so they were telling me about it, and, you know, we're sitting there, and we're laughing, and I'm like, we shouldn't be laughing at this. And they're like, yeah, I know. And all I could think about was the song by the Staple Singers. You're going out the world backwards like you did when you first came in here, right? So we had a chuckle of that. But um, no, you know, I'm just at the point where I've been unapologetic for a while. You know, I've been not giving a fuck for a while. And that's not going to change. Actually, it's gotten even worse, Right. And so, you know, there are different ways to handle different things. I've just learned over the years, you know, dealing with my own illness and, you know, other things happening in my life. I'm not going to get out here and I'm not going to be the craziest. You know, it's the year of be best. But for me, be best is to retain an attorney and then let you deal with that angry motherfucker. Okay? And that usually sends people running in the opposite, you know, direction. And so for those that, you know, there are some that do not have the means to do so, it's a couple of people. I've actually wanted to reach out, and I actually wanted to help you with some shit. However, it came back to my remembrance that you were on that bullshit a few years ago. So there's that, right? But if you were to reach out, I probably would tell you some things and um, produce some receipts that I, I know you need them. And so um, <laughs> that is how you be best, you know, at least in my world. Um, it's, it's just, it's incredible, absolutely incredible and astounding what people will do to other folks and how they will treat other people. And so, you know, again, year of be best. And I would say, you know, make your safe spaces. You know, recapture your safe spaces. You may have to push some folks out. They will get over it. They will be okay. But this is the year of be best. You have to do what's best for you. You have to do find that joy, that peace, that happiness that sustains you. 
And sometimes it can be quite painful because there are people and things that you may have to just walk away from or push away. And and that's never easy, especially when you have someone on the other side asking you why. And maybe you don't know how to articulate why. In any cases, you don't owe anyone any explanations. You don't owe them closure. It would be nice to give it to them, but you don't owe them that. So, again, I just want you all to find your peace, find your mission, find, you know, define, redefine some goals for yourself, you know, create some more goals for yourself, aspire to be the best you that you can be, you know, and and just live your life. Be happy. Be the happiest you can be for what you have and what you need in your life, right? And so it's just everything that's happening in this country is happening for a reason. And as of right now, I still say that the orange tater tot is going to win re-election unless they remove him. And we know that that's not going to happen because he's been able to push through those tax breaks. Um, he's been able to basically go in there and shake things up. And basically, basically, he's pissing on the Constitution of this country. And he's being allowed to get away with it, is being cheered, is being heralded. And especially for, you know, black people and other, you know, people of color that are out there. You need to pay attention because this affects you. I remember when he was running in the primary and then eventually when he was running in the general election and I was telling, you know, some of our Latinx friends out there, you know, and, and you know, I've been privy to a lot of different conversations out there in regards to some of the rifts between the different communities. And, you know, all of that information is readily available. You just have to go out there and Google it. But I've seen conversations. I've been a part of conversations. And one of the things that I used to say on my show, and I still say it even now to this day, the people, the the, the brown people who were documented citizens, you know, you know, maybe they have their citizenship or their green papers or what have you, you know, their H-1Bs, whatever the situation may have been, you know, many of them were rooting for the undocumented, you know, brown folks to be kicked out of this country. And, you know, I used to put a caveat, a caution out there. I used to say, don't do that. Don't do that because not only are they going after the undocumented, they're coming after you as well, the documented folks. And some of them were like, that's never going to happen. And now you have, you know, brown folks that served in our military deported to whatever country they came from. You know, um, them taking away H-1B visas away from people, sending, you know, sending people back. And one of the lost um, demographics in this whole immigration fiasco are black immigrants that have been pushed out of this country and deported and kicked out of this country. If you really want to do some investigation on that, basically you should go out and do some Googles, right, Google some things. And I would tell you to Google Cameroonians being held in detention camps in Mexico. And also um, do Google Haitians being deported, Africans being deported from America. 
all of that, but there was a special case down in Mexico with the Cameroonians and the way that they were being treated, or with the Cameroons. The Cameroonians or Cameroons? We're going to say Cameroons, so strike the Cameroonians, right? But, you know, the Cameroon people that are down there. You know, I had to look that up because that's going to bother me. So anyway, um, you know, what's happening with them, and again, you know, after this light latest skirmish with Iran and in the orange tater tot saying that basically he assassinated that general because of the protests that were taking place in front of the Iranian um you know the American embassy in Iran, right? And about the damage and the protests that were taking place and that is why he took their general out. However, documents have leaked that one of the reasons or the main reason why he called for that assassination was to get the news off of the impeachment because he's no longer controlling the narrative in the news. And that's why I always blame the media for the election of Donald Trump because they gave him all that free airtime. They gave him all the free advertisement. You know, they, they did all of that. And that's one of the reasons why he won, besides the fact that folks in this country are racist as hell. You know, doesn't have very much to do with economic, you know, you know, um, desperation or anything of that nature. With some folks, yes, with a few of them out there. But I will say the majority of it clashed to eight years of Obama, eight years of Eric, you know, Holder, eight years of seeing black people in power and control. That is how we get the orange tater tot, right? And so with this impeachment, you know, again, just everything that's happened that's transpired in the last few years with this Trump administration, I mean, if I, I don't know how else to show and to tell people this is how quite a few white people have made their wealth. You know, while many of them are still, you know, wealthy due to the slave trade, I mean, this country's wealth and economic well-being was built on the slave trade and the money that has come in from that. But, you know, look at what these white men, like I said, I'm taking cues from them. So it's like, you know, open up all these open up all these corporations, you can embezzle money, you can falsify documents, get loans for untold amounts of hundreds of millions of dollars, refuse to pay them, sue them before they sue you for the money, right? Put the money in offshore accounts and tax shelters, then declare bankruptcy, and then you can go and reclaim your money. All of the different things that we're seeing that's happening out here. And that's why when, you know, Michelle Obama and, you know, and I'm just going to say this, when she said that you have, she's been at many different tables and how the majority of those white people are not very smart. This is something that we've been saying for years. And this is something that, um, you know, black academics, you know, black workers, um, you know, black corporate workers, employees, and, and, you know, and even, you know, your regular everyday employees, you know, I and mean, they're still corporate because it's like if you're working at McDonald's or at Walmart, that's still a corporation. And, again, you know, many of these corporations, if you are a black person, especially if you are a black woman and you're intelligent and you know your job, 
and you do your job well, you will become targeted. Because, again, you know, that fragile white male ego, again, that white pathology. And, you know, white women are not apart from that. You know, some of the some of the worst people I've met have been white women who were intimidated by me. So it's, it's really interesting because you have some white women out here that try to latch on specifically to black women that they know are more intelligent, that, you know, that have more access to whatever it is that they have access to. And they want to latch on to those particular black women. And, um, you know, um, Tressie put out a tweet the other day talking about, you know, white women wanting to mentor black women who are smarter than them, that, you know, have more going on for them. And she was talking about how dangerous those women are, and they are. And so you need to pay attention to that, pay attention to what's happening. So, again, I guess that's, you know, part of one of life's lessons. And I've said it before, black people, the black community, we don't have any friends out here. Don't get that twisted. Hell, there are some people out here that are black that look like you and me. They're not your friends either. You know, and I can give you many, many examples on some people that have been in my life that have been the very best assholes that they could possibly be and then get angry because I've outsmarted them, right? And so, you know, that wasn't supposed to happen, but it did, like it was difficult to do. So it's just interesting. But, yeah, I want to go and I want to talk about be best left harness, right? Now, according to a rumor, and I don't know how true this is, so do not take this as fact. But there were some, you know, and again, this could be the Russian bots putting this out here. And at this point, I'm going to consider it information or disinformation coming from a Russian bot. But it was talking about how Lev Parnas may have worked for Fred Trump, Donald Trump's dad, in the 80s. Now, you know, some more investigation needs to be done on that. But if that's the case... That also puts or adds a different tint to this particular narrative that's taking place out here. So you know, it's like this: if you're gonna, if you're getting, if you're in trouble, and you're connected to a bunch of you know so-called important people, and you're gonna go out there and sing like a canary, like Lev Parnas did, he is being his very best, you know, tattletale he can be, right? I mean, not only is that canary singing, it is singing in C-sharp, right? And so that is an example of be best, be the best whistleblower you can be. And when I watched his interview on Rachel Maddow, and I caught it, you know, when she did the show live that night, you know, even though it was a taped interview, my mouth was agape, right? And I was like, what? Ooh. <laughs> I mean, that is how you spill tea, with receipts, with receipts. And so I guess he's been his very best whistleblower self at this point in time because he has absolutely nothing to lose. And those are the type of people that you don't necessarily want to get into a battle with or to fight with. Because if you're fighting with someone who has absolutely nothing to lose, I can pretty much tell you 99 times out of 100, you're going to lose. Why? Because they have no fucks to give, all right? 
And so with the information that he brought forth, you know, basically the way I see his situation is he's been dealing with all of these different oligarchs, right, whether they're in Ukraine or it was some Russian ones. And I'm sure that there are some other ethnic groups that he's been dealing with, um, you know, in the shadows over there, right? And at this point, he he feels it's, it, this is what came across to me. He feels as though he's a dead man walking. So he has absolutely nothing to lose by putting all of this information out there, releasing all of this information to the press, especially, you know, they've already been threatening his family. And so he has absolutely nothing to lose. I guess this is his way of, you know, playing his staying alive card, right? Because I'm more than confident that he's sitting on quite a few more poker chips out there that most people don't know and don't have access to. Now, maybe the, you know, the second district of New York has it. I'm more than positive that they have it. And I'm pretty sure they're over there pissed the fuck off that he's putting all of this information out in the press. But this is the only way that, you know, he can prevent from, you know, being Epstein, right? And he's putting it out there and there, there are going to be more people coming forth. And so that's why, you know, because at first I was a little perturbed with Nancy Pelosi as well. Send the shit over there. You should have, you know, impeached him a long time ago. However, seeing the new information that's being released, you know, I would say Nancy Pelosi has been her be best, right? You know, as far as, you know, being strategic and tactical in how she put this, you know, information out there how she's making certain demands, even though she's not going to get many of those demands. You have people putting pressure on Republican senators, you know, to basically, you know, call for witnesses and more evidence. Because the main argument of most Republicans is that they didn't bring in any witnesses or not many witnesses or any evidence. And that's because the White House has been blocking it. Mitch McConnell has been blocking it. The Republicans have been blocking it. And Devin Nunes, you know, he's probably over there, you know, shitting bricks right about now, him and his aide, because of Lev Parnas. So, you know, if we're going to say, you know, be the best whistleblower, Lev Parnas is an example to hold up in front of everyone because, you know, again, even with Michael Cohen and what Michael Cohen said and did, you know, you have white people, as I call them, ethnic and honorary white people from these different groups. Michael Cohen was um, um, Jewish and Lev Parnas, I think he's Ukrainian. He's from one of those groups over there. But you know, many people in these groups, they will, you know, basically go out here and be a part of white pathology, white supremacists, and they will herald it until the day the scrutiny is on them. And once the scrutiny is on them and, and, and they're being questioned, then somehow they miraculously return back to their roots and then start pointing the finger at them, them white folks over there. You know, and I'm talking about these white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, right? And one thing I will say is white folks do each other dirty, you know, and I just sit back and I watch some of the stuff. But, um, you know, you got some black folks out here that, you know, are very, very lucky that black people have been taught to forgive, right? And so on the last show I did, 
I talked about the difference between Christianity and Islam in certain regards. Um, in Christianity, especially with black Christians, you are taught to forgive. Forgive, and then they want you to forget. They want you to cast it upon the sea of forgetfulness or however that shit goes, right? Especially when they've done something to you. But because you, you know, you've let it go and you've forgiven and you've forgotten, then they turn around and do the same thing again and use the same type of psychology on you. Whereas with Islam, they teach justice and they teach justice now, which is one of the reasons why you have so much Islamophobia. Because again, it's a black and brown religion that white folks have not figured out how to control, how to appropriate, how to, you know, basically, you know, play Jedi mind tricks with the followers of that. And um, but you have different type of Muslims, you have different groups, you have different sects out there. But with Lev Parnas, what I found interesting, and it's something, you know, that I've been saying for a while, I remember doing shows talking about the prosperity gospel of Donald Trump. I was talking specifically about the cult behind Donald Trump, the cult that he created. And what had already been created, but they found a way to coalesce around him. And so when Lev Parnas, during his interview, was talking about how it's more cultish than anything else, again, this is why I'm challenging black Christians specifically to reevaluate the religion that you follow. Now, I'm not saying to not be a Christian anymore, but what I'm saying is if you have ministers and pastors and the so-called people in authority telling you not to question them. And that goes beyond Christianity. I mean, you even have some of that fuckery in the atheist community. How dare you critique so-and-so? How dare you question them? It's the same cult mentality, except instead of it going to a black preacher, now you're focusing it on a black or brown atheist or a white atheist. You know, there was one um, specific batshit crazy black atheist who Basically, you know, name two people that if they were gods, that they would worship them. And I said to them, you know, I didn't say a damn thing, you know, anyway. What I wanted to say to them was you already worship them like they're gods. And, of course, then I would have had to go through the argument, A means not religious, A, theist, and we're not theist. But, you know, they found a way to turn atheism into religion. And that's across the board, whether it's the black, brown, red, yellow, whoever. They've turned it into a damn religion. And you can argue with me all you like, but it's true, right? And so Lev Parnas, you know, basically pontificating on how Donald Trump and the people that surround him are a cult it's true. I mean, you know, especially look at Mike Pence and, you know, even Pompeo, you know, sometimes they're sitting there and they're looking at 45 and they're like just, you know, you can just see like this love. I don't even know how to describe it, this love and this admiration for how he can be a sexist, misogynist, racist, homophobic, transphobic as he wants to be and get away with it and don't worry about it because he knows he's going to be reelected, whereas other people are walking the tightrope, right, being careful of what they say. You know, again, there you go with Collins and, you know, you have people, even with McConnell, you know, his numbers have dwindled. And so it's going to be interesting 
But, you know, of course they don't want to be primary, but they're looking at Donald Trump like, how in the fuck can you just be this outwardly racist? How you can be just this obnoxious, you know, just just being all the fucked up person you can be, being best, being best racist, being best misogynist, being best, you know, you fill in the fucking breaks, the blanks, right? He's being the absolute best. And still walks out there with absolute confidence that he's going to be reelected. And what's interesting is I also believe he's going to be reelected. So what are we going to do? Especially with Senator Doug Jones from Alabama. Black women showed up and showed out to make sure that the damn pedophile wasn't elected. And then as soon as Jones won the election, he stated that he would be making, you know, some of his votes will be in line with the Republican Party, right? And and as of recent, he stated that um, that he's not sure if he can vote to impeach Donald Trump because, again, he's up for re-election. I say don't vote for the motherfucker. Even if he votes to impeach Donald Trump, he has shown you who the fuck he is. Doug Jones has shown you. Believe him. And I know people are out there saying, what's the alternative, Kim? You know, you don't really like any of the political candidates that are out there. And the answer to that is no, but I've talked about, you know, my support being behind Warren and and Sanders because, you know, there are not any more choices really out there. You know, I love Julian Castro. You know, he was number two on the list. And, you know, I I still have a lot of love for that guy. And he's out here campaign, campaigning for um, Warren at the moment. And, you know, I'm going to vote. Some of you are not going to vote, and that's fine. You know, because, again, that is your right. That is your choice. And I don't believe that anyone should be shaming you for not voting. And, you know, again, they want to talk about, you know, we have ancestors that died for the right to vote, yeah, but they, they died for a number of other reasons as well, but you're out here doing the fuckery anyway. You know, so without getting into too many details, because I don't want anyone saying, oh, you're shaming folks. No, I'm not shaming folks. I'm just saying what you're doing and what you're standing for is fucked up, and you're finding every way to justify it whatsoever. And the fact is, the majority of the ones doing it know that it's fucked up, but they're going to push the envelope as far as they can just to see what they can get away with. And and so, child, let me tell you. So anyway, um, when Parnas, when he basically implicated Mike Pence, Pompeo, William Barr, and how all of them were in the loop, I mean, that was being the absolute best you can fucking be at being a whistleblower, right? And so I'm, like, looking at all of this, and I remember putting a a status update on Facebook out, and basically I said, Giuliani is going to the clink, right? And what I find interesting about Giuliani is he's out here putting on this Mad Hatter act, right? So, um there's so many examples, you know, of people out there that have done that. You know, they'll go out and act as though they've lost their entire fucking mind and got more common sense than you and me put together, right? But they know what they're doing. Don't fall for the hype, guys. Don't fall for that, you know, that 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 
bullshit about them not knowing what they're doing or they're incompetent or they're stupid. No, Donald Trump is not a stupid man. Giuliani is not a stupid man. Donald Trump is ignorant as fuck. And Giuliani, I just think Giuliani ain't giving a fuck because he's cash-strapped right now. He needs money. And, you know, and again, if you look at the examples, what have been taking, what has been taking place and all of this shit that's being pulled out of the closet, being pulled from under the carpet and being exposed to the American community as well as the world, this is not anything new. They, white people have been playing dirty like this for centuries. And I've stated on this show before, you know, a friend of mine, a lawyer, she she used to tell me this, and, you know, I understood it then, but I really freaking understand it now after all of this, is that black people in general are the only ones playing by the fucking rules. Everybody else is doing whatever the fuck they want to be, being the very fucking best, you know, rat, you know, asshole, jerk, thief, you know, embezzler. They're being the absolute best whatever it is that they can be to make money. And the majority of the money that they are making are off the backs of black, brown, and red, and somewhat yellow people. And you need to understand that. And you also need to understand how they pit us against each other. So that way we're more focused on that, being focused on how we're being shitted on by these different communities, especially the, you know, the white Anglo-Saxon, the Western whites, right? And, um, and, and again, that's whites from America, that's whites from Britain, Germany, France, you know, all of those areas, right? And this is why I encourage you guys to go back and read the history, because when I talk about these honorary ethnic whites, I'm talking about white people when initially, when they started coming to America, they were treated like shit. And eventually, they were invited into certain sec- sections of the white Vingram. Because they're not in the total white Venn diagram. No, that's not going to happen. But they have these small subsections where they intersect. So you have people like Irish people and Italian folks that came to this country. And with this particular Italian group that was at the bottom with the Irish people and the um, Scottish people, they were the Italians that came from southern Italy, and they were dark, right? They had the dark complexions. They still have dark complexions. And they were referred to as guineas. And I would, you know, strongly suggest that you all go out there and Google about Italians being lynched, um, about Irish people being lynched, and all of these different groups that are now honorary ethnic whites. And that's one of the reasons why black people specifically get a lot of pushback, because in order for them to be included in that little subsection of whiteness, they had to be anti-black. They had to oppress blacks. They come over here, and then they learn how to treat blacks. The media, the mass communication that we send to these other countries, they pick up these ideas about black people. They think, all oh, black people live in Cabrini Green because they just now got, you know, good times and shit. I mean, you know, and they believe a lot of this. And so, it's just, it's, it's disheartening, but it's important that you all understand the history because you have some of these ethnic whites that are out here, and basically they're fighting black people 
And in some cases, they don't even understand why. You know, even with some of the brown people, and I see you, caller. I'll get to you in a second. Even with some of these brown people that are out here, you know, they don't understand why they're being subjected to, you know, racism as well. And generally, when I say racism, I'm talking about structural racism. I'm not talking about someone not liking you, right? But, you know, one example is Puerto Rico and what's happening over there in Puerto Rico and why the funds are being withheld. And now the governor that's out there fired like the director or the um, director of management or something, whatever, because the supplies that have been sitting over there, they've been in a warehouse. However, the, the, the person that's the governor now was at one point secretary of something over there and was involved with supplies being, you know, hidden and pilfered and not given to the people. But if you go back and you look at some of the history of Puerto Rico in America and their relationship with white people in the government, you'll see that there was an assassination attempt on the president. You'll you'll read about their own particular civil rights movement. You'll learn about how the young lords basically were walking in step and admired the Black Panthers. They were the Puerto Rican version of the Black Panthers. It's a lot of history there. And so there are white people that hate some of these groups but don't know why they hate them. They just know that that hate has been passed down from generation to generation. And even some of the people in these particular ethnic groups, they don't understand why white people hate them. And and because, you know, and it's not just that example. There are a number of those examples. But the biggest example now of why they aren't getting aid is because Donald Trump is mad because they said something about him throwing damn rolls of paper towels at their head, and he's mad at the mayor because she spoke out against him. I mean, it's just, again, this guy has his ego and it's out of control and these personal vendettas. And that's why I say if you all allow him to be elected to a second term, we are in for pure D hell these next four years. And at this point in time, because the Democrats can't get their shit together, the independents can't get their shit together, they got black, brown, red, and yellow people out here confused like a motherfucker, because how can you expect us to vote for you Joe Biden, when you were one of the authors of the crime bill that pretty much, you know, just decimated our community, you know, um, when when you voted for, you know, just a number of things and where you stood as far as busing and integration and all of that, Joe Biden, we ain't forgot that, and that's why we won't vote for you. And I'll say this right now: if Bernie or Elizabeth make Buttigieg their vice presidential pick, I'm not voting at all. Fuck that. You know, Buttigieg is problematic, and I know that's one of the words we wanted to get rid of this year, but he is, and again, that falls under white pathology in the context that I'm using it. So let's pull a call on. Let's see here. We have a caller. Hi. May I ask who's calling, and what would you like to discuss? Greetings in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is Pastor Don Jr., CEO, and let me tell you, sister, you're on fire. I believe yes, that... Sir. Uh, Everything that you just said, uh, I have nothing to negatively say that you said it wrong. I want to say that we as a people, our environment 
we're not educating each other enough. A lot of times when you put up the negative stuff on Facebook and somebody get their head chopped off, that gets 5,000 likes. But when you put up a, a PDF about a crime bill that's been passed, nobody wants to read it. And a lot of people just sign stuff and they don't read the fine print. Well, I helped Barack Obama get elected in 2008. I was real instrumental in working on MySpace, Yahoo Groups, and all that. But when I signed a non-disclosure agreement, I never knew I wasn't going to get credit for it. It was just because uh, I've been in business for 21 years now, but back then I didn't know what I know today. So a lot of times we want to get the check, but we don't read the fine print. So I'm saying to you, you're absolutely right. And I, and, and this is really sad, but why do they have to wait to the end of this guy's uh, term? And I like to call him 45 like you do. I don't want to give his name any power to impeach him. He should have been impeached two or three years ago, but nobody said anything. And technically, it's like a catch-me-if-you-can situation. I'm going to put all these bills in the, in the Congress and leave them there and get out the way, or if y'all bring me back, I'm going to make sure they go through. So a lot of the stuff you said I really believe, but I believe that this is 2020, like the book of Job. Everybody reads the first chapter of Job and heard about what Job have, but I'm in Job 42. Our later years are going to be better than our earlier years. We had a change in the guard. Now, I, when I covered the uh, – the third presidential debate, where it was 45 and Hillary Clinton, I really believe that the people was going to actually put a woman in the White House, and it wasn't working that way. And what happened is we didn't have the same voter turnout as we did for Barack, and people didn't go vote because they thought that it was just going to get done without their vote. Every vote counts. I say that to say we as a people, not only do we have to vote, but we have to start taking action within our own households and just start telling our kids, no, you can't look at that. No, you can't get that done. And even though we might not like the new dude that somebody's with, we still need to be their co-parent. And that's what's breaking us up. When you got a, uh, you got a separate household where not everybody is all there and it's not the same family. So a kid is being raised by another man. And at some point that kid get older, say, where's my daddy? Your daddy's a low life. And that right there creates a whole whirlwind of negative energy. So the kid grows up thinking the daddy is low life, but little did the kid know the mama that kept the kid away from his daddy. So I, I mean, those kind of things right there, I feel like, uh, if it's bad audio going in, it's going to be bad audio going out. Even if you Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine with all the great beats in the world, it's going to sound really trashy. So if we can start with the kids and start with this generation of education, empowerment, and enlightening, by the time that uh, they get old enough, they'll have some structure. But as far as we're concerned, the wrong people, it's hard for us to go out and vote when we can't get off on our two jobs to make it to the polls when they're open. That's what I feel personally. And I feel that, um, you know, voting day should be a national holiday. Everybody should get that day off so that they can go and vote. As a matter of fact, I feel as though all of this should be automated, whereas you don't even necessarily have to go to the polling place to vote. There are other mechanisms that they can put in place. However, you know, seeing that 45, you know, is not going to allow anyone to really make any viable changes to the way that we vote in this country and not putting out the correct amount of cybersecurity out there to prevent our election being basically, um, you know, um, um, interrupted, you know, by the Russians or whether it be the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, or any other folks out there that are looking to basically hack our election. And so, again, you know, when someone shows you who they are, you believe them, and that's what I'm doing with 45. I mean, 
the day after the Mueller report came out, he and Judy, he and Giuliani were on television talking about how they'll take information from foreign countries then, and, and Giuliani was talking about going to the Ukraine. So the fix was already in, but, you know, yes, we do have to educate each other. We have to educate one another. But, you know, in order to educate folks, they have to be willing to receive, you know, that education. They have to be willing to receive the information that you're putting out there. And that's why we've been doing this show. We've been doing this show for years, um, you know, and, and, you know, I am going to eventually – um, monetize and do some other things that I need to do because um, it's just some stuff I got to get done. And I'm going to need the residual income to make these other programs work the way in which I will. But yeah, you know, again, you know, these are examples of being best, right? And like I said, it's a two-edged sword. It'll either get you coming or it'll get you going. Thank you, Carla, for calling in. I appreciate it. And, you know, again, you know, what some of what he said was true um, in regards to people educating themselves, people educating other people, and, and you know, basically educating yourself. If nothing else, you can be an autodidact. You know, a lot of what I know and what I've learned, I've learned from reading. I've learned from listening to other people. I've learned from, you know, reaching out and asking questions. And, you know, if you have someone in your life and, you know, someone that you may look up to as a mentor, if they can't be bothered to turn around and send you a book list or send you, you know, copies of their syllabi, you know, especially if they're professors and they're teachers, and if they can't be bothered to give that to you, yeah, that's not necessarily a mentor. I mean, even if they don't have time to look up all of the syllabus or syllabi that they've made over the years, which should be on, in a directory on their computer, but at least if they can direct you to a book and tell you, here, this book I trust, this book, all of the references in the back, the information back there, I believe this will help you with whatever you were seeking, whatever information that you were seeking you were trying to learn about, right? So that's better than nothing. But when you can't even get them to do that, and the only thing they're interested in is what you can do for them, and they want you to do a two-step and do whatever it is they want you to do and do it with a smile and do it without question, you know, that's you need to pay attention to that. That's That's not good. That person is not in it for you to win it. I'll just put it that way. They're trying to win it for them damn selves, and they're trying to win it with your talent, with your money, with your resources, with your time, right? And so anyway, again, the year of be best. And interesting, I haven't heard Melania talking about be best in a while. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone because I got jokes, and you all know I have jokes. But, um, you know, partners in that that interview, child, you know, read that. And then he brought up Gordon Fomlin, right? And at that hearing before the, you know, representatives, the House of Representatives, when he was up there giving that talk, you should have seen the looks. I know you all have seen these memes going around, but he was messy, and I haven't really paid attention since then. Does he still have that ambassadorship? I need to go and see what Sondland is saying about this, because now at this point, this is all entertaining, because ain't shit we can do about it. We can't make it. We can't break it. We just got to live through it, right? 
But um, as far as the black community is concerned, we need a clear-cut agenda. We need people out here lobbying for us. I've been saying this for decades, right? I know some people are like, well, Kim, why won't you go out there and why don't you do it? Because I ain't got the patience and I will cuss your fucking ass out in a heartbeat and not give a damn. You know, some people have learned this the hard way. Not only will I cuss you out and talk about you, if I decide I'm not done being mad, I'm going to turn around and sick my attorneys on you. And that's just how that goes. So I don't have the patience to do that. You know, no. However, I would be happy to be on a board, to be on a committee, give some input, all of that. And, um, you know, right now I'm reading information on how, you know, to create policy and, and, you know, basically, you know, there are ways to do that and how you have to format. It's a format. It's, it's just it's a lot to learn, right? And uh, at one point I thought about going into politics, but it wouldn't work because, you know, it's nothing for me to tell the mayor to kiss my ass. And so that just won't, you know, won't feel. But you know what? That's how it used to be. 45 has been the absolute best in in tearing down to a certain degree, tearing down respectability politics, because some of the things that he has said on a hot microphone and he knew it was hot and he just didn't care, you know, you have people out here like, oh, how dare he? The nerve. Well, I've never, you know, you have all of that going on. And at the same time, he's giving you his middle finger and telling you to spin, right? So, I can only imagine what's coming next because, see, the thing with 45, and I need for you to understand the, the mindset of the orange tater tie, is he is the epitome of white pathology. So when I say that, I'm talking about white supremacy. I'm talking about white privilege. I'm talking about white male privilege. I'm talking about patriarchy. I'm talking about homophobia, sexism, all of that. He is all of that wrapped into a big white bow. And that's what I need for you guys to realize. He's not worried because he knows he's never going to get in trouble. He's never been held accountable a day in his life. And I can say that about quite a few white people, especially white people with money and white people with power. They can pretty much get away with whatever. You know, and, and I mean, look at some of the children of these powerful white men, right? You know, they this child is this well not child, you know, because it's like this. If you're raping folks, you know, he, he was an adult, you know, and he didn't go to jail because of influenza or affluenza, right? Influenza is the flu, affluenza. And what the fuck is that? Where did that come from? Who made that up? But see, the thing is, is that it's not new. This is something that's been happening forever. And that's why when I was, um, when I did the review of the book entitled Nigger, right, um, I talked about some of the court cases that were cited in that book and how white juries were quick to convict black folks, but also just as quick to acquit white folks and how that still takes place today. You know, and so that's why, you know, when I talk about these things, again, you know, I'm doing it so that you can go and do some reading and 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 learn. But I expect you to teach someone else. You know, I've had people say, Kim, 
you know, how can we support you? And my response generally is go out and teach someone else. Go out and, and give this information to other people. You know, and over the years, we've been doing this show since 2011, and I don't ask for money. Sometimes Raina gets on my case. And like, Kim, you should tell people to send you money, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe we'll start doing that this year, especially since I'm going to build out the website and put that up there. Maybe I'll put that in the show notes. But, again, it's the year of the best. And so I did an interview with Miss Shawnee Williams from Illinois Equity Staffing, and we were talking about the, the bill that was passed in Illinois that pretty much made marijuana legal. And I did that show specifically so that black and brown people could hear how they could be a part of this and how there are some set-asides specifically for black and brown people, you know, in Illinois, right? And so, again, Chicago, Chicago, the city of Chicago got reparations for people that were harmed by John Burge's police crew, right, the police department there. They got reparations for that. Evanston, Illinois is going to use the profits from marijuana, you know, the marijuana profits to give reparations to the black people in that city. And there's a lot of things happening in in Evanston because Ms. Williams and I, we talked about the gentrification and the number of things that are taking place. And and the state of Illinois is requiring these these white business owners that want to open the dispensaries that they have to basically take on wealth equity partners or equity partners that are basically, you know, black and brown people that have been penalized in, you know, by marijuana convictions or a relative in the family suffered because of marijuana convictions. And there are other qualifying, you know, factors there. And you can go out and read it for yourself. But I'm telling folks about this because I think it's important. And, you know, I'm putting together a team for me, for mine, because, you know, again, opportunities like this do not happen very often. However, you have these white businessmen that are out here trying to find loopholes that are basically giving backlash to the bill and trying to force them to make changes so that they don't have to include black and brown folks in their business endeavors, right? But I also want the black and brown folks that choose to participate in some way with this. You need to know your worth. You need to, and I know a lot of people don't have any money, but you got some attorneys out there that are pro bono. As a matter of fact, if you go down to the Dirksen Federal Building, um, um, Kent Law School and, and DePaul Law School, you know, they have a lab there, a clinic there. And you may be able to go in and take a contract and, and sit down with them and have them tell you about it. But, you know, you have Prairie State Legal Services, and you can even call the American Bar Association and get a referral to an attorney that will talk to you. You know, you have the people's attorney, the people's law, and all of that. Look for it. Sit down with someone. Let them look at that contract. Let them look at your proposal or the proposal that is being brought to you so that, you know, so that you won't be cheated, you know, because in a situation like that, if they need you to be a part of their business plan in order to establish this, this, this business, then it is incumbent upon you to make sure that you own a percentage of that business and you have a golden parachute. So in the event they decide they want to push you out, it's going to cost them some money. So they're going to think twice about doing that. So, again, you know.
you know, the best. I want you to be the best that you can be. I want you to go out there and educate yourself, connect with some other folks, look for the resources online. The information is readily available. I want you to educate yourself. I want you to just, you know, do what's best for you and your family. It's time to make some changes, and it's time to do some things differently, right? And change is scary. I get that. Change is scary, but it's inevitable. Anything that does not change, as far as I'm concerned, is dead. And that's why, you know, some of the conversations I end up having with, you know, black Christians, you know, they say God never changes, the Bible never changes, but society and everything around you has changed. And you have some Christians that boast and brag about being the same and never changing and then wonder why their circumstances are always fucked up or how they always get fucked up results from whatever it is they're trying to do. And, you know, Einstein said insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. If you haven't changed, why do you expect people's responses to you to change? You know, that's something that you really need to think about. So anyway, you know, going back to this year of Be Best, all I say is go out there, educate yourself, stand up for yourself. Don't let, you know, don't be fooled. And I posted an article on my page and I also put it on the Black Freethinkers page as well as the People of Color Beyond Faith. You know, please go out and like that page as well. But it was an article and it was titled, I Am Not Non-White. And it was written by Denise Oliver Velez, right? And it was published January 12th, last Sunday of this year. Read that article because, you know, again, it's time for black people to start pushing back on white people a lot more in order for us to be able to, you know, move forward and, again, to find that liberation and, you know, one of the problems that's out here now is that you have these different factions out here that are fighting each other and fighting against each other, you know, in regards to reparations and black liberation. You have these different groups out here, you know, and and these different arguments that are out there. And you're always going to have situations like that. Again, we're not a monolith, but what I say to you is, Again, pay attention to the leadership. Pay attention to what the leadership is trying to get, what they're achieving, what they're attaining, and, and what's happening. Because, again, a lot of these, you know, so-called movements are nothing but a pyramid scheme. And the way you can tell is it's a pyramid scheme is that it goes away just as quickly as it, you know, appears. And I need for you to understand that you have people out here that will create a social movement, that will create a dilemma, that will create these issues just so that they could capitalize and profit from it and then disappear. You need to start paying more attention to that. You need to know what those in leadership are striving to do, striving to get, and how far they are willing to go to get what they want. Is important. And so, you know, part of the notes for today, I was talking about protesting in this country for maltreatment, you know. Uh, remember, you know, people that were protesting, whether they were part of Black Lives Matter or not, 
they were being identified as black identity extremists by Sessions in the Department of Justice, right? And people were out here protesting just a number of things. See, it's a bad thing when it's happening in America, and they want to crush the protesters, but yet they want to encourage the protesting happening in other countries. And when you see a lot of that, especially when 45 was encouraging the people in Iran protesting the government there after, you know, after everything that happened and people were protesting, some of them were protesting because of that air, that airplane that was shot down. You have to pay attention to that because, again, some of these protests are funded and undergirded by these different agencies with three letters in this country, right? And so a lot of misinformation or disinformation, a lot of the propaganda, you have a lot of yellow journalism happening out there. You have people going over to these countries, getting folks riled up, you know, and for these people to be poor, how the hell can they afford all these damn signs? You know, really nice signs out there picking in and banners. Where did that come from? Who printed it? Who paid for it? So, again, I just want you to think. I want you to think about these things. But I also want you to think about people that you surround yourself with especially when you have some white people that are just rushing, and not only white people, but white-identified folks. Because some of the Latinx folks, some of them are white-identified. And that just brings up a whole different set of issues. But you need to pay attention to who's around you and why they are there. What are they trying to get from you? What are they trying to encourage you to do? Because some of these people will encourage you to go out here and do all manner of fuckery and foolishness and then step back and and act like they dissociated themselves from you while in the background they were directing the whole thing, right? So that is just funny, and it's not funny in a good way. It's funny because I've seen some people, you know, that have totally turned the tables on folks who've been out here instigating certain situations. And so now I get to sit back and I get to, get to be entertained and amused because I'm no longer a part of that. So, I mean, I was entertained and amused then, but I'm really entertained and amused now. So anyway, again, the year would be best. You know, just know what you're talking about. You know, even if you only understand a little bit of it. Just go and do some reading. Never be afraid to ask questions. There's no such thing as a stupid question because if you don't know, you don't know. You know, and I've had people, you know, critique and say, well, you reinforce things that you've taught before. And I'm like, yes, because not everybody has heard that. You get new listeners, new people in. However, some of the same people that that make those same critiques, they're like, oh, I never heard of this term, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I taught about that a couple of years ago. And they're like, oh. And I was like, that's why I reinforce things. So it's just it's, it's interesting because learning. And, you know, I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to be able to read these books, to be able to, you know, I buy used books. You know, I'll go to the thrift store, mission, what have you, pick up books. 
order $2 books from Amazon. You know, when I go to Georgia, I was supposed to be in Atlanta this month or next month, but I have to go to the doctor tomorrow. I need to set that clock, but I need to go to the doctor tomorrow, and hopefully with that conversation, we'll be determining if and when I need my surgery because I want to get that done as soon as possible. So if I end up having the surgery sooner than later, I probably won't make it to Atlanta until like maybe late spring or um, maybe even late summer. It just really depends on what's happening. So anyway, guys, thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you for calling in. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for being a part of the show. But I don't want you to be fooled. You know, and, and again, you have to use your discernment out here because there are people who will use you and then they will leave you by the side of the road saying they don't know nothing about that over there. As a matter of fact, they'll be pulling the Trump. I don't know him. I don't know her. I have no idea what they're talking about. But yet they'll do that in a private setting because they don't want to do it in a public setting because they're afraid the information will get back to you and you'll start printing receipts. Just straight up publish it on, you know. But, you know, for some people it works that way. For me, like I said, I just make a phone call, send an email here, deal with this person and deal with that. And then that usually shuts it down. And that makes angrier people, which makes me more entertained. So anyway, like I said, the year be best. Go out here, be the very best you can be. But like I said, it's a double-edged sword. It can get you coming or it can get you going back. You know, there is good to be best and there is worse to be best. So let's try to strive to be the good be best. I mean, I'm going to try to be, be best as much as I can every chance I get. Anyway, read those articles. It was a number of things that I wanted to bring up. And I guess, I mean, I guess I can just bring it up, this random stuff, the last 15, 20 minutes of the show. You know, but I want you to read that article about I am not non-white. And the reason why this particular author is pressing or pushing back on that non-white is because when you say non-white, it still centers whiteness. It still centers white people. And that's one of the reasons why we're not able to have a decent conversation about race in this country, because we have to center everything on white people and their feelings. You know, on my show that I did a couple of weeks ago, I talked about a situation that I was in, and, and basically I hurt some white person's feelings. And in turn, they turned around and terrorized me in text messages because I pushed back on something that they had said. And this was a so-called progressive liberal. And that's not just the only example. There are a number of examples out there, not only that I went through personally, but other people have gone through. And that's why I say you have to be very careful about those types of things. And especially if you have white people that, you know, are insistent on being in your presence and, and being tied to you in whatever manner that, that they feel is best. Because, again, I've talked about this in the past, there is always a price to pay for that, right? So with me and my situation, I'm just sitting back and waiting and watching for the fallout. And then I'm going to turn around and give them my very best response 
if need be. But um, child, you got to be careful. But anyway, you know about centering white people and their feelings. You know that's hard. That's difficult. And this is why you have a lot of black and brown people walking away from them, just shaking their heads. And then they get angry with someone like me because I don't want to come to your conferences and talk to a room of, you know, 90% white folks, and especially if they're older white folks. Because, you know, you've been around long enough to know what's happening out here. You've been around long enough to know how you have participated in it. And the thing with white people is they'd rather throw money at the situation than to sit down and try to resolve the situation. So they try to throw money at you, or they try to throw around the words inclusion and diversity. And inclusion and diversity means absolutely nothing if you are not working on a tangible solution. They are just, you know, I, I sit back and I'll see coming through my news feeds from, from these different colleges, oh, you can get your certification in, in diversity. And, you know, what's even more interesting is, you know, I've seen different, you know, businesses or corporations as well as um, institutions of academia or academic institutions that have their diversity team, Right. And and the person that's usually the head of the diversity committee or the diversity team is usually a white woman and usually a smug one at that. And then you'll have one or two black people there, but everybody else is really white or white identified. And they don't understand why that's problematic. You know, and and you know, another example that's you know, happening today, the Women's March. Now, you all know from the very beginning I've had issues with that. And the issues that I had with that was due to the white organizers. But I went out that first year to support the black and brown organizers because I just felt like that was the right thing to do. But I haven't been out to any of those marches since then. But in in all of that time, in the duration of that time, what happened is you had some white women who wanted to take over the women's march from the women of color and in the trans woman who put in a lot of hard work that questioned, you know, white people and apparently it hurt some white feelings. And so it's been, you know, turmoil since then. And, you know, I talked about it on the show and, and how, you know, I was encouraging to continue and to not give in to the threats and the intimidation and all of those things that were happening. And I'm glad that she did. But, you know, again, it goes back to that meme I was talking about earlier. You know, we'll walk up and we'll see a community and they'll say, you don't fit in here. Fine, we'll create our own. Then next thing you hear, why are you excluding us? You know, that's, that's you reverse racism, all of that shit, you know okay, come on in, and then you tell us we don't fit into that category that we created for ourselves as you appropriate the language and co-opt the particular movement. And it's interesting because you have some black and brown people that will allow that type of activity, will allow that type of violence, because that's violent. They will allow it just as long as the white people are nice and kind to them and, and treat them well and give them a few dollars and validate them and approve of whatever in whatever capacity. But yet they're not, they're not paying attention to, even though the white people may be validating you and throwing you a few dollars, 
overall you have failed because the majority of the black and brown people have peeped you and they're not supporting you like that. Now, they may not be out here, you know, calling you out like I will, and I will call you out by name. We know I don't care. And, you know, they may not be saying anything, but they're saying some things. And that's why I laugh at some things, at some of the people that are out there. You know, um, in one particular situation, someone was trying to be best, be their best inner thug, right? I came from the projects of so-and-so and so-and-so. When I see that that low life, that's what they call me, right? I'm a run up and I'm a do something, some kind of style. And I was like laughing. I invited them to come on over. And I was like, hell, I'll come to you, you know. And I would have beat the dog snot out of them. And I think they knew that. And um, you know, that quickly went away. Shit got deleted. You don't do that to people because there are some people that will respond in kind, you know, but instead, I just had my lawyer call that particular person up so that they can explain it, and they decided not to return my lawyer's phone call, I don't understand, you know, you're from the projects, you don't run up and do something, run up and do something to that mean motherfucker, you know, so that's why I just say people, you know, we have to regroup, we have to, you know, do some things differently. So I'm trying to do some things differently in 2020, but, you know, a lot of my rules are still in place. No, I'm not coming to talk to a room full of white people about racism. No, I'm not coming to talk to a room full of men about sexism and misogyny. No, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be coming to talk to a bunch of white feminists who want to quote unquote pick my brain, basically steal whatever it is I'm talking about and try to convey it or pass it off as their own words. You know, I've gotten phone calls from people that represent like um, organizations like NOW, National Organization of Women, you know, wanting to pick my brain and asking me to participate. And I'm like, fuck you and no. Period. You know, because I'm tired. Nothing is achieved. As a matter of fact, like I said, many of you older people, you understand what racism is. You understand what structural racism is. And many of you have supported the laws and policies that are on the book that disenfranchise black, brown, red, and yellow people. And, you know, for those of you that are out there saying that, well, we're in the same boat. I grew up white and poor. That's something totally different. You were not discriminated against because of your white skin. And so, like I said, you have some good books, some good authors out there. You know, read, you know, uh, Nell Painter wrote a book talking about whiteness, Right. Uh, I would I would encourage you to go and read that. And for those of you white people who say that they're not racist or they're anti-racist, and the more you try to prove to black, brown, red, yellow people that you're not racist, the more racist you come across. And when they point that out to you, you get upset, and here comes the white tears, and now you're angry, and now you feel like that gives you permission to be the best asshole you can be. Yes, you can be the best asshole you can be, but you proved my point. 
so be angry about that. So, anyway, go out. It was a really good article. You know, take what you need from it. You know, there are some things you're like, well, I don't necessarily agree with that. That's pretty much, you know, everything that I read. For the most part, it's like I agree with this, but I don't necessarily agree with that. Or this right here, I'm unsure of. And when I'm not sure of something, what do I do? I go and look it up and I read it. And, you know, some people are like, well, Kim, you have the privilege of being able to take time out to read these things and all of that. And, you know, what I say to those folks is, you know, even due to my circumstances, you know, I may have more time to do whatever than other folks. It does not mean that those things are easy to do. You know, not all disabilities are outward. And, you know, the one thing about the chronic illness that I'm dealing with is, you know, people will look at me, you look fine. You know, you'll take a test, you know, go and get the blood work done. Sometimes the blood work shows what's happening. Sometimes it doesn't. But when it doesn't show, you know, you have these nurses out here and there. Some of them are looking at you. But it's like the test can show, come back normal, and look like everything is fine, but I still feel like I'm dying. That doesn't take away from the pain. It doesn't take away from the pain that I'm feeling. It doesn't take away from the fact that this illness is attacking different parts of my body, and, and I have to pay attention to that. And because of the way that black people especially black women, are treated in the medical profession, you know, by the medical profession, you know, you have to go in being your own advocate. And what I've learned over the years is I have to basically, I have, to, I have a daily journal. I have a, and any pain or feelings that I have, I write, I make prolific notes. It has the date, it has the time and duration of whatever it is that I'm feeling. And I take that information and I research on it, and I'll write it up, and I'll print it up, and I'll send a copy of it to the doctor. And once I go for my visit, I'll ask them if they read my notes, and we'll discuss it. And then we can talk about whatever you want to talk about, but I want you to run this test, this test, and this test. And, you know, again, black women, arm yourself. The way you can arm yourself in a situation like that is that if they push back and they say, well, no, I don't think that's it, Ask them, then what is it? Well, I'm not sure. Well, let's run this test. Well, I don't think we need to run this test. Okay, so mark that in the notes when you make your notes that you refuse to take to, to order these tests. And usually that backs them into a corner. They may walk out the room and come back in and say, well, you know your body best, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, you can run whatever test you want, but I need you to run these tests right here. And I'm telling you, you know, with with – Everything that's happened to me, you know, with the lupus and, you know, the thyroid and heart issues, it took me years to convince them that I was sick and that I knew. But once I started being more assertive and made them look these things up, I was right every time. That's why I keep pretty much my same doctors because now they don't really question too much. They're like, well, Kim, no, that's not happening. Oh, okay, it may not be happening, but let's do the test. I pay all this money for this insurance plan. Let's make them earn it, you know, and um, well, my doctors respect me, you know, and I respect them. 
And right now what I'm doing is I'm kind of transitioning. So I still have my doctors, but I'm seeing another team of doctors as well. And that's because I'm preparing for my primary care physician retire. So he's at that age, and we've talked about it the last couple of years. And um, once he retires, I'm pretty much taking everything over to this other hospital system. But in the meantime, I'm training them on how to deal with me, learning how to talk with me, me learning how to talk with them or to them about what's happening. So, you know, and I've had some doctors, you know, that love it, and I had some doctors who hated it. You know, and the one doctor that just, you know, you know, he wrote his notes up and it pissed my primary care doctor off, but I was right about the situation. And, you know, they were pissing me off, and I told one of their technicians that they have one more time to fuck up, and then I'm going to sue them. That doctor and his nurse was so nice the next time they saw me when I had to go in to get my heart checked. You know, they were, like, extremely nice because they screwed up. I just was not emotionally available to turn around and bring litigation against them. Because even when you bring litigation against someone, it takes something out of you emotionally. And you have to be ready to do that. And even though, you know, your attorney is basically handling the thing, you're still getting these damn crazy-ass emails from the attorney. Can you get this? Can you get that? I already sent it to you. Well, I need it again. I'll burn it to a DVD. Send it to their office. Oh, okay, I got the DVD, and blah, blah, blah. Then they lose the DVD. And so it just turns into a fucking nightmare. And especially if you get an attorney that's an asshole. I had an attorney that was an asshole. And so the fight turned into me and him. <laughs> oh, but if any of you all want some advice on how to get an attorney disbarred or file an ARDC complaint against an attorney, let me know. I know how to make their lives miserable. So anyway, um, it's a lot to learn. It's a lot to learn. And one thing that I didn't talk about today that I kind of wanted to, but didn't really feel like getting into it, but what I'll say is do not allow these white people to use the words and the activism of Martin Luther King Jr. to guilt you into following whatever agenda that they may have. Do not allow them to use or misconstrue the words of Martin Luther King Jr. to basically chastise you into not um, um, asserting yourself into you not making demands of, you know, the government and of people around you, holding them accountable. And and do not allow them to intimidate you or, or bully you into a corner, whereas you just give up and you let go and give in. That is what they want. And they misconstrue the words. And I mean, as a matter of fact, when Martin Luther King Jr. was alive, they absolutely hated him. See, they start loving black and brown people after you die and you can't speak up or you can't speak back. Same thing with Muhammad Ali. They absolutely hated his ass, you know, until he died. I mean, you know, you have people putting up information about Eartha Kitt. They hated her as well and a number of other folks. But with Martin Luther King Jr., they definitely have whitewashed his history. And I'm happy to see that there are some folks out there that are reclaiming um, MLK's um, 
um, dream, reclaiming his his words, reclaiming his activism, just reclaiming MLK, period, across the board. And you see them doing the same thing with Malcolm X and, and other folks. And, again, that's why it's incumbent upon you to go out and to read and to learn about these different people and learn what's really happening with them. Read the books that were written by themselves or they may have written it with someone else. You know, um, it's just a lot out here to learn, a lot out here to learn. And we're going to be doing a lot of that this year with this podcast as well as the new ones that I'm going to launch. So, you know, guys, I just say to you, be ready, be waiting. You know, it's a lot that I want to get done and have some fun. And so my, my documentary is not on a back burner. I'm still doing research for all of that. And I'm looking forward to being able to go out and do some interviews and and talk to some people and, you know, again, going through some archives for this particular person's writings and expounding upon that. And I'm looking forward to speaking to their child and the children of some of the, you know, the, the civil rights leaders that have, you know, passed away that have transitioned out of here. So anyway, thank you guys. Thank you for last year. Bearing with me, I had a lot happening, and um, we're still healing. It's almost one year to the day that I lost my mom. I'll never get over it. I love her, and I miss her. So all right, y'all, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Question everything and everyone. Good night.